Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Tony Shalee of Radker is here to talk big picture politics, climate change, and why he now describes himself as an eco-capitalist. But not everyone shares his vision as a meeting of the Cabinet Committee on Climate ended earlier with no final agreement of the target for agricultural emissions reductions. Farmers have agreed that they're going to work on a reduction of 22% in emissions. That is quite a lot, and farmers have adopted a lot of new measures already. We'll have reaction and analysis from the opposition to the Taunishes interview and later Nobel Peace Prize winner and inaugural Stormont First Minister David Trimble has died at the age of 77. We'll have more from Belfast later in the show. You can join the conversation on Twitter with your comments and questions. Hashtag tonight, BMTV. Nobel Prize winner and former Stormont First Minister David Trimble has died at the age of 77. The Ulster Unionist Party has said that it is with great sadness that the family of Lord Trimble announced that he passed away peacefully earlier today following a short illness. Mr Trimble and John Hume, of course, of the SDLP, were the main movers behind the 1998 Good Friday Agreement. Stay with us for more on the life and times of David Trimble later in the show. I am joined now, though, here in studio by the Tanishta and the Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment, Leo Varadkar. Tanishta, you're very welcome. Um, I'm sure you'd like to express your sympathies as well to the family of David Trimble. Yeah, absolutely. I just really would want to express my sympathies and uh, that of the government of my party um, with Daphne Trimble and the Trimble family and all his friends and supporters. Um, He's somebody I um, met once briefly, uh, didn't know personally, but um, I remember him very well. Uh, you know, back in the late 1990s and the early 2000s, uh, when he was one of the architects of the Good Friday Agreement, uh, an agreement that probably would not have happened without him, um, and somebody who was a, a very brave person, I think, in politics, uh, somebody who took risks for peace, uh, somebody who tried to make Northern Ireland a warmer place for everyone who lived there, um, and somebody who took uh, immense personal and political risks, um, often put the interests of uh, people in Northern Ireland ahead of the interests of, of his own party and that required enormous bravery and deserved to win the Nobel Peace Prize I believe uh, and will be remembered well that by history I think it'll have a special place in our history. Yeah like I said a little bit later in the show we're, we're going to talk about uh, David Trimble his life and times in more detail. Uh, no white smoke today on agricultural emissions targets why not? Um, we don't have agreement yet quite frankly um, I'm sure we will um, but I think we have to go back to first principles here you know, if you think about the last 100 years or so in Ireland, in the world, it's been a period of enormous progress. Um, billions of people lifted out of poverty, um, more people living longer, healthier lives than ever before. Um, we've learned uh, how to fly. We've learned even put a man on the moon. Uh, but we've also done a lot of damage uh, and the planet is not in a good place. 
um, it's getting hotter. And we all know the consequences of that, that our biodiversity loss is really dreadful. Um, and our water, uh, our rivers and seas are increasingly polluted. And I believe we have to be the generation of politicians that turn that around. Uh, and I believe we can do that, uh, but we have to do it in such a way that protects people's incomes, their livelihoods, uh, their way of life. And that's what we're trying to achieve here. All government parties are on the same side. We want to protect, in fact, increase farm incomes. Uh, we want to protect uh, agriculture and food production, which is a really, part, really important part of the rural economy. We want to protect the volume of food production because there's going to be more mouths to feed in the future, not fewer. Um, but we also need to do it in such a way that we make um, it sustainable. Uh, because if we don't make uh, farming sustainable, if we don't reduce emissions, um, we won't be growing grass at all in 20 or 30 years time. And I don't know what we'll be growing and there won't be farms to pass on to the next generation. And that's why we need to marry all, the, all of those objectives. And that's what we're trying and to do. And how do you do that? How do you square that circle? So you, you mentioned mm. polluted rivers and seas there. So some yeah. of the most polluted rivers in Ireland are in the southeast. Mm and it's with nitrates, and those yeah. nitrates come from farms. And in the southeast as well, you turned the sod recently on a huge new mm. project down in Bellevue, this Glombia cheese factory, as, as people are calling it. Hugely important to the yeah, agricultural well, it, industry. It is a cheese factory, in uh, fact. So. Uh, 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 hugely important to the, the agricultural industry and hugely important to that part of the country uh, as well. Uh, but on Tashka were opposed to it. Yeah. A, a lot of environmentalists were opposed to it as well because they say it commits us to a system of intensive farming that does damage. That is the reason there's so many nitrates in that river. Yeah, and ultimately, Ambor Planola heard both sides of the argument and ruled in favour of the plant being built. And it went to the courts and the courts decided that the plant should be built. So, you know, we live in a democracy. People have a right to be heard. Um, they were heard uh, and the courts and the Borpanala decided in favour of building it. And that's why I was very happy to turn the sod on that. And it's going to be very important um, uh, engine of growth and job creation in the southeast, which is the region that has the biggest increase in employment last year, which I'm, I'm glad to say because that's been a big priority of ours, making sure that we have jobs growth in all parts of Ireland, not just in the big cities. Um, how do we do it? How do we improve water quality? Um, less untreated sewage going into our seas, a big investment program underway to do that. And it does mean um, changing the way we use fertilizers and less fertilizers. So it means moving away from nitrates to protected urea. It means um, using uh, low emission slurry systems like less, for example. And farmers are doing that, quite frankly. Um, so they've, they've, they're on they, the right they, path they in that regard. Money, but so they would they, have to do They more. either make your produce more expensive or they reduce your yield. Mm -hmm. I mean, the farmers are efficient. There's no more efficient workers in the country than farmers. There's a reason they do this, and it's because this increases their yield at the lowest cost. So how in the future are you going to protect those farm incomes and increase those farm incomes and increase the amount uh, of, of dairy products that we are producing on our farms yeah. for this cheese factory and still get them to use different types of fertilizers, more expensive fertilizers or less fertilizers? Well, you know, I think given the cost of fertilizer at the moment, we're going to see less use of fertilizer this year. And that's why I actually think we'll see agriculture emissions fall um, next year, even though they went up this year, um, the fall for a number of different reasons. Um, we need to work with farmers. You know, I've had a chance to visit, um, you know, model farms. I've seen what Devonish are doing in County Mead. I've seen, been to a really interesting farm in Bartleby in County Cork. Um, I've seen the innovations that are possible. And it does mean using different types of fertilizer. It means mixed swords, which require less fertilizers. Um, it means using low emission uh, systems. There are things that can be done. Uh, and that's what we want to achieve, um, getting to the point where we um, 
maintain the level of food production that we have, increase farm incomes, but also reduce emissions. And that is achievable. And other things we can do as well, of course, uh, you know, is encourage farmers, uh, incentivize them financially to do things like uh, move to organic mm. farming, which is less intensive, but can be profitable. Uh, and also, you know, areas like uh, renewable energy, uh, areas like carbon farming, uh, areas like anaerobic digestion. But, um, you know, we have to put the money behind it. Um, and, you know, ultimately, uh, uh, as, as is the case with anyone who runs a household or a business, um, it's about the bottom line and whether um, you can make ends meet, whether you have an asset you can pass on to your family. Uh, and we need to make sure that we put the incentives in place uh, to uh, make sure that happens. What are the targets going to be in your view or what should they be? Between 22% yeah. and 30%. So what's the numerical figure you're pushing? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not going to put a figure on it here because it hasn't been agreed and hasn't been decided. Obviously, it'll be in that range. Um, the range for industry, for enterprise, which I'm responsible for, will be 35%. We've pretty much agreed that'll be in that space. Uh, so, you know, a bigger contribution mm. being asked for from business and industry than, than, than from, from farmers. And it's important to bear that in mind. Um, but it, but if, if farmers, or if, if rather, if 22% if is the mm. target set by government for farmers, then they might come back and ask for more from industry. That's what we've been told. Others would have to pick up the slack. Well, I, you know, I, I think what we can do is, is over-obsess on a precise figure. Um, and when you see how emissions are calculated, you know, there's a lot of margin of error even in how they're calculated at the moment. Um, so I think we shouldn't try to obsess too much on a precise figure. What we need to figure out is how do you actually achieve it. And I believe we need targets that are ambitious because we need to be ambitious about climate action, but they also need to be achievable. And there's little point in having uh, a figure that you really don't know how to achieve. You know, you can say we'll make up a certain amount by technological developments, whether it's uh, you know using hydrogen gas in industry in the future, whether it's um, uh, sustainable aviation fuels in the future, whether it's uh, things like, for example, additives um, in feed uh, in agriculture for the future. But I think you can only make up so much of it credibly with what they call you know the black box, which is to yeah. be determined how. And you know these are the kind of things that are in the mix at the moment. And um, you know I'm sure we will have agreement on it. And I'm absolutely of the view that we're on the same side here, the three parties in government. It's not the environmental NGOs versus the farmers. It's not okay. Fine Gael versus the Greens so, so just, or Charlie so McConnell that getting against Stephen Ryan. If, That's if, not there's, if we get white smoke, by, I think Alan McEntee was talking about possibly by Wednesday, yeah. uh, if we get white smoke and it's, say, 22%, you're saying that there will not be further announcements then for other sectors. No, that will not, no one will come back and look for other sectors to take up the slack, which has been the suggestion. Well, we, you know, we may be able to sign off on a set of figures for all sectors um, on Wednesday. Um, it might be September. It's not going to make an enormous difference in the greater scheme of things, whether it's Wednesday or five weeks' time. Um, it's more important, in my view, that we get it right. Um, but nobody can say that we won't come back um, looking for more from any sector. Unfortunately, we can't say that. You know, what we will do is set the targets uh, we'll try and achieve them. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about way down the line. I'm talking about in terms of the targets. What we've been told is that yeah. if, if, if the farmers, as we say, if the farmers will only sign up to 22%, um, that uh, transport, that industry, energy, mm. you name it, that they will have to increase their targets. No, no I, think, I think it's less about that and more how much we leave in what's called the black box, you know, the amount to be determined uh, by future technologies. And everyone will have to make a contribution from. So we'll have a nice future. little fudge by Wednesday. Well, it's not a fudge. It's genuinely saying that you know things. Well, it's like, a bit of a fudge. You just said that we don't really know what the black box, what's in it, and well, how it'll work, and well, what we, kind of return we, 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 we have an idea. We don't know how much it'll work. So it is things like hydrogen. It is things like um, uh, uh, what they call 
uh, SAF, which are synthetic aviation fuels. Um, you know, it is things like feed additives, and we know that they can make a carbon capture and storage. We know they can make a contribution. The other thing, which I think we need to figure out as well, which we're um, talking about at the moment, um, is how anaerobic digestion should be counted. So if people don't know about this, essentially what you can do is you can put slurry, you can put farm waste, you can put grass into what's called an anaerobic digester, digester and that, um, that makes energy. It's a form of renewable energy, renewable electricity. Um, but at the moment, pretty much all of that is counted as reducing our electricity emissions. And only a small amount is counted as reducing our agriculture emissions. And some farmers would say, and I think they have a case, uh, is that this is on a farmyard. Um, it's very different to a solar panel or um, you know, a wind turbine. This is totally on a farmyard. It's in a farm and into it goes farm products and farm waste. You know, shouldn't we get most of the credit for that? So, you know, these are the kind of things that, that, that are being discussed. It's a serious conversation. It's a serious discussion. It's real science. It's real numbers. I think maybe sometimes people are getting a bit too hung up on a particular magic figure. Um, it's more about how we get there uh, and how we achieve what we want to achieve, which is protecting farm incomes, protecting the rural economy and getting our emissions down because there will be no rural economy, economy mm. if we don't do that. Uh, obviously in tandem then or parallel to, to these discussions would have kind of tentative budget discussions uh, happening uh, in the background. And of course, the cost of living mm. uh, hangs over all of that. And what we keep getting told time and again is that like nobody has been immune to it. Everybody feels it. I felt it. Everybody at home, mm. I'm sure, has. I'm sure you have as well. In the shopping basket, where have you noticed it? You know, look, everybody is feeling um, the impact of inflation. Uh, the cost of living is rising um, and everyone's household budget is different and they feel it in different ways. You know, for me, it's the, it's the utility bills. Like, that's the thing that hits me when I see it coming out of my bank account. It's obviously much more than much more than it used to be. For families, of course, it's different again. You know, it's uh, some of the rising costs of putting kids through school. Um, for people who commute long distances, it's the cost of petrol and diesel. You know, so it, it affects everyone in different ways. Um, what there can be no dispute about is that it is affecting everyone. Um, everyone is feeling the squeeze. Uh, and of course, uh, people on low incomes uh, are feeling it most acutely um, because uh, some of those families are making some very difficult decisions about what to spend money on at all. Uh, and that's why government has to respond. Um, this is almost entirely driven by international factors, as I think mm. most people will accept. And I don't need to go into the details as to why that's the case around how the price of energy is set and monetary policy and so on. Um, but government can do a lot to help. Uh, so in January, you know, we did minimum wage increase, welfare increases, pension increase, income tax cuts, which were opposed by a lot in the opposition benches. Uh, since then, we've um, reduced the VAT on electricity to gas to the lowest possible. We've had the 200 taken out off the electricity bills. We've had the school transport costs being reduced. Um, we've taken 20 to 15 cents off petrol or diesel, gone as low as we can on diesel, in fact, under European law. Um, there'll be a further response uh, uh, on budget day, which is now only about two months away. And people will see that uh, in their pockets and in their bills within weeks of the budget being announced. And then there'll be a further set of actions that then kick in in January who? next year. Who, who in the country will feel it most in their pockets? Because a lot of people yeah. would have welcomed the cut and VAT and the, mm. the 200 quid extra into their pocket. But those were, I suppose, universal benefits. Everybody mm. felt them. And what everybody, or rather, what every economist worth their salt in the ESRI, Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, are saying is that what the government needs to do in a situation like this is to be honest with people, that there's going to be a winter of discontent, it is going to be tough. And to a degree, you've got to just grit your teeth and bear with it. It is the people who need help the most, who should be targeted. Yeah, well, you see, you can have targeted measures and you can have universal measures. Uh, so universal measures that help everyone, like the 200 euros taken off every household's electricity bill, and you can have target measures 
like we did on the same day, which was to pay an additional fuel allowance payment to those who are uh, most in need. And Why not increase that fuel allowance payment and not give you 200 quid back in your pocket and me 200 quid back in my pocket? Like, I, I welcome yeah. the 200 okay. quid. If I'm being entirely honest, did I need it? No, you didn't. Yeah, well, it's, it's not, not about you and me. Um, turn it the other way around. What if we just increase the fuel allowance? Uh, if we just increase the fuel allowance, that would only benefit a very small number of people in the country. You know, there are people on social welfare who don't qualify for, for the fuel allowance. There are lots of pensioners, maybe your parents, maybe my parents, that don't qualify for the fuel allowance. And often when people talk about targeted measures, there are often people who don't necessarily understand how the social welfare system, the tax system works. Targeted measures really can only benefit people who are in receipt of social welfare and then not even all of them. If you want to do anything for working people, working families, middle-income families, lots of them are really feeling the squeeze, then you can't just do targeted measures. You need to do something else. Um, and what you can do is come up with a really complicated new means, means test. Um, or you can just accept the fact that, yes, you are going to help everyone. Mm. And maybe some people... You see, middle-income um, families who are them. feeding the squeeze, I understand why you want to uh, 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 offer them support. They're possibly voting for Fine Gael. But again, those economists at the Irish Fiscal Advisory mm. Council, the ESRI, say, no, it, it'd be great if you could benefit them, but yeah. don't. Target... Uh, well, 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 look, first of all, I, I'm the leader of Fine Gael and nobody, Fine Gael's never going to apologise for saying that we want work to pay more, that we're going to stand up for working families and middle-income people. Whether they vote for us or not, that's part of our raison d'etre. You, you know, we understand that for a society to work well, you have to reward work, you have to promote enterprise. Um, you know, you have to say to people who are on middle incomes that um, we don't just think you're, you're on your own, you're grand. <laughs> we appreciate yeah, the government. Your duty is not owed to Fine Gael, your duty is owed to the state. You're the tarnished yeah, but it's the but leader it's, of Fine Gael. Yeah, it's honest and, first, surely. And, and I think the right approach, therefore, is targeted measures that help those most in need most and universal measures that help everyone. But you mentioned ESRI, you mentioned IFAC. Let me mention another state body, uh, the Central Statistics Office. Look at the research that they published in June. Uh, what they say is that those on the lowest incomes have had a 7.6% loss of income in real terms because of rising costs. Do you know what figure they came up with for middle income? No. 6.7%. So, you know, you'd have the impression when it comes to some, some of the way this issue is discussed about, you'd swear that those in the lowest incomes are being hit twice as hard or three times as hard or 50% harder or 20% harder. It's not even that. 6.7 for middle income families, 7.6 for the lowest. And that's why we believe that even on an objective statistical basis, uh, it's right that middle-income families should get help too. Yeah, but a 7% hit for someone on a lower income is disproportionately going to impact them, isn't it? Because of, of, of the mm. reduced disposable income they have compared to the middle-income family. Well, that depends. You know, it's very often the middle-income family, for example, that doesn't qualify for a medical card. Um, that has to pay a lot in childcare because... Um, You're not suggesting the middle-income family is worse off than the poorer family now. No, I'm not suggesting that, but I'm, what, what I don't accept is this thesis, which is the, only the poorest families in society are suffering and therefore they're only the ones that should get help. Uh, I think everyone's feeling the squeeze. I think people on middle incomes uh, are feeling the squeeze too. And I think the right approach is the approach that the government has adopted so far, which is universal measures that benefit everyone, working people, middle income people, and additional targeted measures that help those who need the most, the most. And that's the right approach in my view. Uh, beyond the budget, uh, I suppose I, I, I use the phrase the winter discontent, and people are worried about what, what's going to come over the, the, the next few months. In terms of the increased cost of living, Increase energy bills, you know, we see news this evening from Russia, Gazprom kind of turning down the taps a little bit again, Russia playing politics uh, with, with, with energy supply. 
Uh, and people wonder, will we get to the point of fuel rationing uh, and what advice might be from government? Now, I know you've been very coy about what exactly that, that, that will look like in detail, but I just wonder, within your own bailiwick, might there be a repeat of COVID advice and that people should work from home? This is exactly the legislation that you introduced. Yeah. Well, you know, like I'm worried about the situation as well. And, uh, you know, I don't think you couldn't not be worried uh, about what might come in the winter. But, you know, I also know what we've been through in the past 12 years as a country. You know, a major economic collapse, the IMF coming in, the Troika, all of that. Um, we came through that. Um, and there are more people at work in Ireland now than ever before. Our public finances are back in good shape. Uh, we had the pandemic. Um the first one of that nature in 100 years. We've had Brexit. Um, we now have a cost of living crisis. Uh, so, you know, whatever chance throws at us, we'll be able to deal with it and we'll get through it. I'm absolutely sure of that because I, I know the strength of, of our country and the ability of our people. I'm sure we'll get through it. Um, there are two potential problems in the winter. There is, of course, the issue of the cost of energy, which um, we've, we've explored already and how we can help people uh, with that. Um, there's a separate issue, and it is a separate issue uh, as to whether we have adequate supply, uh, and they require a different response. Uh, so we have a contingency plan as to what we would do uh, if we didn't have enough energy. Uh, and obviously that means prioritising households, social services, essential businesses. Um, working from home, for example, could be part of the response to that, but bear in mind people working from home still use electricity and gas and so on. So uh, the savings may not be as great as, as we had hoped. Um, in one area where slightly fortunate in that we don't depend on Russia for much of our gas. It comes from the carb gas field off Mayo and it comes mainly from the UK. So we're a little bit more protected than Germany would be, for example, our countries uh, to the east. Mm. Uh, and we also, Germany, though, will start buying Norwegian gas, which is what some of the UK buys. That yeah. I, I, you're, you're right, absolutely. But there's a knock-on effect. It's not a simple oh, no, there, there, there's, there's thing. There's definitely a knock-on effect. Yeah. No, there's definitely a knock-on effect. Um, but we're not as exposed as you know perhaps other countries would be. But we do have contingency plans, and it's right that we have them. And those contingency plans, uh, and as you say, like the, the focus will be in protecting households and making sure that people can turn on uh, the lights and turn on their oven and turn on the heating. What conversations have been had with heavy industry ahead of winter, with data centres, mm. for example? Well, well, we have ongoing conversations with, with heavy industry, um, I'm not sure I'd classify data centres as heavy industry, by the way. But, heavy but, heavy but, industry but, in terms with, of the amount of energy they use, yeah. put it that way. Um, yes, so we already have a system whereby we ask uh, large energy users to constrain use, uh, and we have, have a system for doing that. Uh, someone of their own generating capacity as well. Uh, and we have had periods, even over the past year or two, where we've had yellow alerts, and we've had to get into that space. So um, there's an ongoing engagement in that regard. Um, I, I should say I don't anticipate us having to do that. Um, uh, but we have to be prepared for it. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, talk of brownouts and blackouts and so on for the last year or so. Thankfully, while we have had some yellow alerts, that hasn't happened. We're not complacent about it in any way, um, but we do have plans to make sure that we have enough um, electricity. Well, on balance, you think unlikely that that will happen? I, I, it, look, nobody can rule it out, uh, and that's why we have to have a contingency plan, and we have one. You know, what happens if we're, if we're 10% short? What happens if we're 30% short? What happens if we're 70% short? And they're a very different picture, believe you me. Um, but, you know, we got through last winter, certainly, without uh, having to do so. Um, and Covenant will get through this winter without those kind of constraints. But nobody can rule it out because it is clear what's happening. Uh, President Putin is using food uh, and fuel and ref. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. GG's as weapons of war. Um, we're seeing the kind of thing happen on our continent that we haven't seen since the 1930s and 1940s. Uh, it is grotesque. Um, we all know what he's doing. We have to stand up against it. Uh, can I ask then, uh, before I let you go, just about your own party? Because there's a huge amount of speculation about December and the changeover in, in, in Taoiseach and, and what's going to happen in, in the other party, one of the other government parties in Fianna Fáil. Uh, according to the most recent poll, though, support for Fine Gael at its lowest since 1994. I mean, you can't be particularly proud of that, can you? Yeah, well, that wasn't the most recent poll, but um, don't let that stop you. One of the, one of the more recent polls. Well, <laughs> has the more recent poll showed a phenomenal bounce back? No, no, the most, the, most recent, the most recent Irish Times The poll. most recent poll last Sunday was in the Sunday Times and it was the BNA poll and had us at 21%, which is... Slightly above where we were in the last year. Yeah, election. the most recent Irish Times poll, which is the lowest since 1994. Yeah, you, you, I'm not sure you'd be bragging about 20 no, percent No, but it is interesting that that always when journalists pick the most recent poll, it rarely is. It's just the worst recent one, which um, you never pick the best recent one, which was 23 or 24, only a few weeks ago, which would be, substan- are are be substantial seat gains. Are you proud them. of your low 20 percent that you have in the most recent um, poll? No, of course, of, of course not. And the aim uh, of the party is to gain seats, gain votes in the next election. I believe we can do that. Um, but that means um, governing well. It means dealing with the problems that people care about, whether it's the cost of living, whether it's the housing crisis, um, you, you know, whether it's reducing the cost of childcare, whether it's making sure that we protect the economy. And that's, that's really the focus of everyone in government. It's on the business of government. Um, and an election will come. Uh, it's two or three years away. That's a long time in politics. And there's one thing I know about opinion polls uh, is they don't predict the outcome of the next election. Um, Sinn Féin went into the last campaign in third place. They came out on top. You mentioned that poll. And as you brought it up, uh, the last time we were at 18% in an Irish Times opinion poll was 1994. What happened, what happened after that? John, became, John Bruton became Taoiseach a few months later and we got 28% in the subsequent election. All right, OK. Well, maybe, maybe it bodes well for the I'm future. not saying that will happen, uh, by the, the way, Times, but, but what I am uh, saying is... Uh, uh, Paul, is, of course, uh, you have a monkey off your back as well uh, going hmm. into December, given the DPP... 
uh, I've decided not, not to pursue uh, charges against you uh, for that issue with the, the leaking of the contract in the NAGP. Uh, and I just wonder, and I know you've, you, you've commented about it, but I just wonder about the, the personal toll that that must have had on you. It must have had a, a, an impact, did it, on stress levels, anxiety, mental health? There must have been a cost in terms of friendships. Well, you know, first of all, I, I'm very pleased that the DPP, um, having considered all of the facts, uh, decided I didn't have a case to answer. Um, never mind being charged, there was no case even to answer. And uh, that the Guardian carried out a very extensive investigation, interviewed lots of people, examined lots of devices. And by the end of it, they were interviewing the person who made the allegations under caution. Uh, and I think that says a lot about the nature of those allegations, that uh, they were false. Yeah, but as a person, I mean, we've, you know, but the, the 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 toll on you, hmm. the personal toll. There must have been one. Well, look, it wasn't it wasn't nice to have something like that hanging over your head for the best part of two years. But uh, I'm a tough person. I'm resilient, and I'm up for any challenge. And this was just one of them. And uh, what doesn't take you down makes you stronger. Does it? Did it cost you friendships? Um, not particularly. Um, uh, you know, what I certainly regret is the toll that would have had on my staff. Uh, you know, whatever about me worrying about my future. Um, they had nothing to do with this and, uh, you know, I was worried for them about them losing their jobs. Um, uh, I, I'm really honoured by the level of loyalty and support that I received from uh, my party, from my parliamentary party. I know other politicians uh, who've had allegations made against them uh, weren't as fortunate um, and I want to repay that loyalty to them. Uh, and I know it was difficult for them at times because they were wondering, you know, the average Fine Gael voter or supporter, you know, was wondering themselves, you know, this is going on so long. Um, why is it going on so long? And it was difficult on them. Uh, and um, I'm just glad that we're through it now. Tanisha Leo Fracker. Tanisha, thanks a million for joining us. Uh, after the break, we'll have reaction from the opposition. Stay with us. You're welcome back. Joining me now for reaction to the Tanisha Leo Radker's interview and the other big issues, of course, facing the government. Sinn Féin TD, Louise O'Reilly, Ireland editor at independent.ie, Fionn Sheehan, and independent TD, Verona Murphy. Folks, you're all very welcome. Uh, Fionn, the Tanisha, he's been around the country visiting farms left, right and centre. Uh, dealing emissions is imminent. All is rosy. He knows his anaerobic digesters from his aerobic classes. Yeah, um, <laughs> he, 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 he taught us all there. Um, where, where he says the three parties in, in government are, are unified, fine. Uh, but that's certainly not the view that's been expressed by his own party backbenchers who are quite firmly uh, of the view that um, the emissions targets cannot be at the higher end for uh, for farming. And you, we've seen that being expressed both publicly and, and privately over recent weeks. The latest word tonight seems to be that there's going to be some sort of fudge It'll be kicked down the road a wee bit. There's a land use review coming. There could be another review in about uh, 18 months. So that will satisfy his side and Michael Martin's side. But how the Green Party respond to that will have to be seen. How real is division uh, between urban and rural within Fine Gael? We're used to it in Fianna Fáil and we're used to kind of backbench revolt over the last couple of years. They've been better at maybe marshalling the troops and the blue shirts. Yeah, well, you saw... Today, the, uh, a group of, of Fine Gael TDs coming out co collectively issuing a, a statement. Now, they, they happen to be from the, the, the south and southeast, the, the kind of the, you could call them the, the, 
the big cow lobby, uh, if you if you wish, uh, because they're from kind of the the dairy heartland of, of the country, which would be watching uh, what's coming out of the emissions targets with with the, the greatest uh, interest of of all, I suppose. So we are seeing that there are specific factions uh, growing up. We're not really seeing that that there's exactly an urban. Fine Gael faction coming out saying, oh no, we really need to hit the high targets here uh, from from the, the agriculture uh, sector. So Urban TD is kind of stepping back and letting their their, their rural counterparts uh, do the running here. Uh, Verona, that big cow lobby, that's your part of the world, uh, the southeast that Fionn is talking about, some of them. How damaging would a 30% target be? Hugely decimating for the rural Ireland communities and the agricultural communities. You know, I was glad to hear John Paul feeling today, but it did make me wonder where they were when this government was being formed. You know, I'm part of the regional independent group. We were in government negotiations, as you might remember. At that time, I didn't hear any of these sentiments being expressed. I'd say it's a little bit of sabre rattling. And for me, the five TDs that have come out they can't just talk the talk if they don't get the targets that are required. And they need to be, as far as I'm concerned, well below 22%. But if the farmers are happy that they can work with 22% and that's not achieved, then I think these TDs need to walk the walk. They have to start to stick up for rural Ireland. That's where their constituent is. There is a huge disconnect, huge disconnect between this government. It's a government of city slickers for city slickers. And that's what we've seen time and time again, not just here now with targets and emissions, we've seen it with the turf war, we, we see it with the refusal to remove excise or reduce it to a point of where you can run a car in rural Ireland, all of these things. So they need for me... So, so walk the walk, you want them to leave government. You're calling on John Paul Phelan and others if, if, if the target is a, it, a point one of a percent this, above 22. This legislation... Walk out on government. Well, the thing about it is even if we were at 30% and we achieved all our emission reductions, we'd be less than a hundredth of a degree of global warming reductions. Ireland's contribution will be negligible on a world stage. But... We will decimate rural communities. I mean, KPMG's report has said it. 56,000 jobs will go. The difference is, where were these TDs when they were needed? The Climate Action Bill. Nobody voiced their opinion then. Now it's sabre-rattling, unless they walk the walk. They yes. don't need to just go back to their constituents and say, we did our best, it didn't work. Uh, 22%, well, 30% will decimate rural Ireland, but even 22% is too high, says Verona. What's Sinn Féin's view? Well, I think... So they struggle to find it. Yeah, no, no, no. There, there, there's a couple of things at play here, and I think the, the setting of targets uh, by this government is something that they're very fond of doing. Um, they're not hitting any of their targets, uh, which is why we keep having uh, more and more and more and more and more urgent conversations in relation to climate action. So, for example, we know that uh, the EPA has found that far from... The, their target, the government's target, was um, a reduction in emissions of, to reduce it by 4.8%. They actually increased it by 4.7%. So they're missing their targets by miles. And I think it suits the government if we're having a conversation about, well, you pick one figure and I'll pick another figure and we'll all say a figure. I mean, the tonnage... Well, we have to pick figures. We're, no, no, we're, we're obligated on by international we agreements. Are, we're, indeed, figures. we are. If Sinn Féin is in government, you'll have to 
And Come on, but a target, here's what will the it thing, be? though. Here's the thing, Karen. If Sinn Fein were in government, we would have access to all of the relevant information. We don't have that. Now, if you look at my colleagues, Darren O'Rourke and others, they had tabled amendments which would have meant that the, and to be honest, the easy thing to do is to step out. So it would have meant that we would have been very centrally involved in the negotiation of these targets. It would have meant that we would have had sight of all of the reports and the government opposed those amendments. They said they wanted to do it on their own. Well, now they have made their bed, let them lie in it. We will wait to see what the uh, what the figure is that the government come up with. But again, it's a figure, it's a target. All of the evidence suggests that the government don't hit their targets. So what we have to see is a realistic plan, a plan that's going to deliver for rural Ireland, absolutely, um, and a plan that's going to make a significant contribution to emissions reduction. So the plan is what's important. The but figure you can't is suggest less. Any, anything that might be included in the plan because you just don't know any detail. We haven't seen any of the, of the documentation. The ministers have commissioned reports from McKinsey and others. They haven't shared them with us. What they've said is when we hit our figure, we will then publish a plan and all of the information, which is fine. And the opposition and as the, the lead party of opposition, we will respond to that. But at the moment, they have kept us out of that of their process. They have said they want to do it on their own. So we're gonna we are left with no other option but to wait for them. But what I do want to see is a plan, a well worked out plan that will that you know comes as a result of consultation with farm families, not just massive uh, farming organisations, but actually directly with farm families and allow them to have their say. That's what we need. You know, the, if you go to rural Ireland or you go to urban Ireland, you talk to people, they say, yes, we want to play our part. They know, they understand that change is coming, but they want that change to be sustainable and they want to be supported. So when the government say they've set another target, well, look at their targets. Yeah. 8,000, they said 8,000 hectares yeah. of forestry per year. They're only delivering 2,000. They're missing all of their targets. It has to be realistic and it can't simply be a case of we're going to lock in a room and come out with a number and then uh, all head off. There has to be a plan. There is no evidence on, of a plan. Is that, is that a legitimate position for uh, opposition to take? Well, there's, look, there's plenty of information out there. You have the reports from the EPA, the Climate Change Advisory Council, Chagas. You know, there's, there's an amount of information out there if you wanted to set out a, a party policy. And that's what, you know, party policies are, are made from. You, you compile uh, one's own research. I have some sympathy. I watched the, the Oireachtas Agriculture Committee last week. I saw officials from the Department uh, of Agriculture and uh, the Climate Department in, and I think Verona, Verona was there, or was observing as well, and completely, you may as well have had straw men sitting across the, 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 the desk and the, mind-numbingly dull. They, they did nothing to add, did nothing to inform the committee of. So, look, people in opposition will always say, we're not getting enough information. Verona, you were unimpressed. It it wasn't even unimpressed. It was so frustrating. The straightforward questions that were being asked that weren't answered. They went around the houses to avoid having to answer in practical format. And the only answer that I can tell you did come out was where Professor Allen said, if we were to enforce all of our 51% emission reductions, we would still not reach or have an impact more than one hundredth or less than one hundredth of a degree on global warming. And that is if Ireland did everything that it should do. So should so, we bother do anything? Yes, we 
listen, we need just transition. We do not need to go at it at the rate that we are and decimate rural communities. It's hard enough. There's, the divide is there. There are no buses in rural Ireland. There are no trains. We need our cars. We need the cost of living to be reduced for the rural Ireland dwellers because it's having a greater impact than it is in the city. Eamon, Eamon Ryan telling me that he can't remove a toll barrier in Dublin port that allows 40,000 litres of fuel a day into the atmosphere, which of a place where the EPA says is the worst offender when it comes to NOx emissions. Louise, Can't do anything about it. Are we being too ambitious, given you know, China's adding whatever it is, 18 million cars uh, every year to its fleet and building coal-fired power stations? No, well, we've no control over what they do, right? So we, yes, we have to be ambitious. We absolutely have to be ambitious. I mean, our children, our grandchildren demand that we are ambitious. So yes, we should be ambitious. But we need to step back and look at the messages that are coming from government. So they say they, they, they're very into afforestation and, and, and all the rest of it. But they're missing those targets and they're missing them by miles. It's all about consumerism with them. So, I mean, I drive a diesel car. I don't know if I'm going to get slated for that. I drive a diesel car. I drive a diesel car because um, the last time the, the Green Party were in government, they said, drive diesel, it is better. So I took that advice, I drive a diesel car. Now, same people are out trying to sell me an electric car. It has to be about more than consumerism. We are not going to buy our way. We have to make those changes and people have to be supported. There's a two-year wait if you want to get into the retrofitting programme. And that's if you have the shillings to get into the retrofitting programme because you have to have the money up front. So, you know, the way they approach this, it is very much for the well-heeled and the well-off and they need to look at bringing everybody with them because not everybody has the money to buy an electric car, but something really simple, such as my uh, colleague Darren O'Rourke and others had proposed, expanding the school transport scheme. That's a huge part of the reason why people have to have cars where there isn't transport available to them. Expanding the school tra transport scheme, not okay. one single route has been added to that since, the, since uh, the, this government was formed. That is something that would make a real and appreciable difference for people. Well, as Louise says, even if you have the shekels, good luck trying to find a tradesman uh, uh, to, to, to retrofit the house. Anyway, we'll leave it there for the moment. My panel are going to stay with me after the break. Tributes to the Nobel Prize winner and the former Stormont First Minister, David Trimble who has died at the age of 77. President Michael D. Higgins has led tributes to the Nobel Prize winner and the former Stormont First Minister, David Trimble, who has died at the age of 77. Mr. Trimble's dedication and courage, often during the most challenging times, has earned him a distinguished and deserved place in our history books, President Higgins said in a statement. This evening, for more on this, I am joined now by the journalist Amanda Ferguson from Belfast. Uh, Amanda, fair to say he, he leaves a, a lasting legacy in his wake. Yes, that's right. Uh, there have been messages of condolences from across the political spectrum uh, in Northern Ireland, from across the island and, and in Britain as well. Uh, for Lord Trimble, former First Minister of Northern Ireland, former Ulster Unionist Party leader, uh, someone who started their career um, in politics, hardline unionism, right the way through to consensus politics and, and really um, you know, helped to bring peace uh, along with the late SDLP leader, uh, John Hume. Both men were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize 
prize for their efforts. Uh, obviously, the we're learning um, that Lord Trimble's nickname was uh, the Houdini of Northern politics uh, because of all the challenges to his leadership. He faced down a lot of criticism within unionism uh, for, for the action that he took, but undoubtedly his legacy will be that there are people alive today that wouldn't have been alive if it hadn't been for the brave decisions that people like him uh, and, and John uh, Hume took. And uh, I'm sure, as you say, like tributes uh, pouring in from across uh, the board, uh, Amanda, and I understand uh, as well uh, the, the Assembly recall as well has been delayed. Yes, that's right. You know, political instability is a feature of northern politics and we don't have a, a fully functioning government at the moment. Uh, the SDLP have brought forward a recall motion um, to try and sort of force the DUP back into devolved government. And, and that was due to take place uh, tomorrow. But the, the sort of temporary speaker, uh, Alex Maskey, had sent out a statement reflecting on, on Lord Trimble's legacy and saying that it would have been inappropriate uh, for the recall to continue. Uh, so I think that in, in the days to come, a new date will be fixed for that uh, while people reflect on the magnitude uh, of Lord Trimble's legacy, whether you liked him as an individual or not, or uh, if you want to sort of discuss the, the charisma of the man uh, and some of the, the mistakes that he may have made during his political career. Undoubtedly, uh, he took huge decisions uh, for the peace that we enjoy today. And while the, the peace process um, isn't by any means perfect, it's a lot preferable uh, to what went before. And I think that uh, his place in the history books with that regard is secure. All right, Amanda, listen, thanks a million uh, for that. Amanda Ferguson from Belfast. If you're not uh, the Houdini of politics, a fair assessment? Yeah, but he, I mean, he had quite uh, a varied career. I mean, he, he was very much a, an intellectual within the, the leadership of, of unionism. He'd also experienced firsthand the, the, the savagery of the provisional IRA, uh, a colleague, a friend, uh, a fellow academic, a fellow member of the UUP, Edgar Graham, been shot in the head on the grounds of, of Queen's University uh, in the early 1980s. And, and he went from... He, David Trimble was the one who identified his body. He heard the shots being, being fired. And he went from there to 15 years later to, to basically dragging unionism uh, through uh, the, the Good Friday Agreement and then seeing the very hardliners... Uh, who had stayed out uh, when those crucial decisions had to had to be taken, uh, profiting from um, the, the the institutions not not working as efficiently or as as fast uh, as as was uh, envisaged. So yeah, he 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 did, he's he's left uh, a, a personal mark, and you you can genuinely say that he is somebody who on on this side of the border is, is genuinely respected and regarded. Uh, Louise, the, the politics of the possible was not the kind of the phrase used uh, at the time. I think attributed even to, to him uh, uh, early doors. I mean, how does that contrast with where we are today in terms of the protocol? Well, I think I, I suppose just firstly to to pass on my own sympathies uh, to to David's family and uh, and to his loved ones and and to his. Uh, his community and and indeed uh, all of the people who are they're grieving their loss, they're grieving a very sad loss tonight. And you know, I mean, it's, I suppose, you know, the the assembly recall being deferred. I think that's appropriate, and I'm not sure that now is the time for talking about current uh, political, you know, what what's happening currently uh, in the north. Other than to say, you know, the the art of the possible, the the uh, politics being the art of the possible, I think y you'd start to have to have that uh, as your uh, as your motto. 
um, in, indeed, and I think Michelle O'Neill has has shown that. I think we we obviously want to see the institutions back up and running. There's there's no dispute in it. But I think today is a day to to reflect on the significant contribution um, that David Trimble made to the peace process and the courage that he showed. Uh, you know, in bringing um, you know being part of the the Good Friday Agreement because that did take tremendous courage. And uh, and you know, I suppose his family will take some comfort tonight and and in the the days and weeks ahead from. Um, um, the, the outpouring of grief from this side of the border and, and indeed internationally. Um, but I suppose that to, for them, this is just going to be hard. For them, he was their, yeah. their dad, their husband, and, you know, their friend. And, I think that's... Uh, Verona, how do you assess the impact of David Trimble on, on both sides of the border, as Louise says? Absolutely. Briefly. I mean, I think he will be remembered as one of the architects of the peace process, choosing with great courage and determination dialogue over conflict and at great personal stake to himself, particularly as a political representative. But I mean, the day himself and John Hume were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for me, I'll never forget it. And I think, you know, it was huge courage and determination that they both showed. And that will be a legacy. That is a legacy. All right. Well, my thanks to Louise Funan and Verona. That's it for me. Claire Brock will be here tomorrow night from all the late team here. Good night. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>